0: Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Earthsea Love Podcast. This podcast is for and about women of colour and our relationship with nature. Hosted by me, Sheree Mack. The Earthsea Love Podcast is committed to exploring the experiences Of women of colour with Mother Nature. We want to provide spaces where the hidden voices in their environmental and conservation conversations can explore their relationship with the natural world. Inspired by our time spent outdoors, we amplify the voices of women of colour. Our stories our conversations interviews photography writing and artwork we'll be exploring our legacies histories and memories which have had an influence and effect upon how we perceive ourselves within the natural world and within the environmental and climate justice movements welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. The Earthsea Love Podcast has been made possible by the funding from National Lottery Heritage Fund. Good day, or good morning, or good evening to you all, and welcome to the Earth Sea Love podcast. I'll be honest with you. I'm tired, yeah, and it's a good kind of tired. You know that tired that you get when you know that you've been doing some good work, but um, it's tired nonetheless, and. It's a rainy Friday morning here, another day of rain and I was planning on getting into the sea and I just didn't have the energy today to do that and and that sometimes happens to me. I mean I've been in Monday and Wednesday this week and Wednesday I knew I needed to get in and I just went in because I uh, and, and cap you know it's boots and gloves weather but I know I knew it would, it's a hell of a pain to get them dry afterwards so I just went in flesh exposed and of course it was painful to my toes and fingers but I swam across the bay and then back again and yeah I was a different woman so I know if I'd gotten in today I would have been a different woman today but I just didn't have have the headspace um, and you know these things are just flagging up to me that I need to take um, a little bit better care of myself and I have got a date earmarked in the calendar for just like stopping for Christmas and it's nearly there, we're nearly there yeah, it's a time to just turn off all distractions, devices, and just settle in to the holiday season with family. Well, I say family. It's just me and the kids. Um, Not going anywhere else or hooking up with anyone else. It's just in our own little bubble. Um, and then also just continuing that restful feel into January. January is one of those months. months. Um, so I'm claiming it back as a ah oh. month. <laughs> and hopefully continue that rest and relaxation into January. But before we get there, this is our final episode. Of the Earth Sea Love for the first season, the 2020 season, and what a season of episodes we have brought you! And as you can see, oh, no, you can't see, but you can hear the smile is back in my voice because it has been such a nurturing and rewarding experience recording these episodes know, connecting with different women around the world who have this connection with nature and it has just been awesome. It has been feeding my soul and I hope it's been feeding yours too because we share our stories to connect with you, um, nature and ourselves. So this final episode of the season comes to you from Catherine, look, Le- Taylor, who is an artist on the Cornish coast, who has these tactile pieces of, well, art, their vases, their bowls, their, um, statues that are so beautiful, and they're inspired by that wild and wonderful landscape of the Cornish coast, and, um, yeah we just riff off on one about creativity, about moving around the UK, about continuing to have that connection with the outside world um, and also searching for home. Searching for home comes up because um, we have the, um, the connection through Ghana, through West Africa and how Catherine journeyed there to find her father. And I'm not going to spoil the story because she shares the story. And it's such a wonderful story. But, um, you know, it's, it so has echoes within um, a lot of black women's stories and ancestry. Um, searching for home and searching for the self, really. And finding the self where we've been all this time but we needed to go on those journeys and those searches within and without to be able to come back to our home which has always been our bodies which has been with us all this time but maybe something that we've rejected. I was thinking that I'd probably do a solo episode to see out the the year, but I don't think I will, I don't think I will, and that, that definitely comes down to the energy levels, and then thinking, do I have anything to say? If I've got nothing to say, why take up the airspace? <laughs> um, but yeah, this is definitely a time to go within, regroup, and you know, Just hug those people who are close to you, those that you can hug, (laughs) because yeah, this definitely has been a year with no hugs, but I am grateful for the virtual hugs that I have been getting on a weekly basis from the many people that I have connected with Around the world this year, and I am so grateful for those connections and communications and collaborations. And yeah, that could be another thing. My heart is full, so thank you for being here and making the sea Love podcast a success. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking that word and I'm running with it. It has been a success. Um, and now let's reflect and explore what has gone well, what hasn't gone so well and what we can do to continue bringing you quality episodes, experiences, stories and connections. All right so this is me, Sheree Mack, your host of the Sea Love podcast, wishing you all the best for the coming season and the new year 2021. Send in love, take care, and thanks for listening once again. Bye for now. Well, hiya, Catherine. Welcome to the Earthsea Love podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on one of
1: our episodes. Thank you kindly. How are you today? Hi, Sherry. I'm really well. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. The pleasure
0: is all mine. So usually what I ask the first question is, you know, to get us situated where are you now where are you living what can you see out your window what's the season tell us where are you
1: from okay well i'm in west cornwall uk so it's the furthest west you can go in a little town called saint just so it's like the furthest town west in england I'm not far from Land's End, so these are kind of places that you've probably heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, Penzance is about seven miles from where I am. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, it's um, autumn. and The leaves have started to turn. The sky is actually really clear blue at the moment. And out of my window, I can see I've got a very small front garden, and there's like a few... Um, bushes which are very green, evergreen and then there's a lovely blue sky beyond that so it's actually a lovely day today a bit cold but I quite like that
0: Yeah, I hear you because, yeah,
1: this is November
0: but we've had unseasonally, Lily warm weather it's been almost balmy you know, and then you mentioning those blue skies it's... Mm. it's welcome but it's all it's also worrying for me um mm. i don't know about mm. you but i just see it as another signal of losing those those distinct demarcation of the seasons and how yes. the weather and the climate is is heating up and yeah yeah worryingly yeah. so um
1: no i i know what you're saying cuz i've really noticed that a lot um, especially here because um, it's quite kind of it's quite a wild place Mm -hmm. and you really kind of like you know you get wild storms and you know mist and fog and all the rest of that but it actually has felt a lot warmer Mm -hmm. this year kind of going into autumn winter Um, yeah I'm not even wearing a
0: coat at the moment wow that's saying something cuz we are it's november man <laughs> is it I mean, yes. I know. <laughs> you, know, you know it is a case of autumn, yeah but it's it's moving towards winter and the dark months and like it's just not reflecting that in in the outdoors but yeah um so talking about the outdoors you've mentioned um cornwall west and the west coast and penzance and oh. Um, I'm sure these are areas that are, um, well known for, um, like Treasure Island or shipwrecks, you know, that sort of thing, Jamaica oh, yeah. Inn and that sort of thing. <laughs> so this is your area. So, um, let's just talk about what you actually do, um, as an artist, a ceramics. Um, but you, you, you know, you can tell me your term and then how yeah. actually, that is being fed into your work at this moment? The landscape, that dramatic wild landscape, please.
1: (laughs) Well, um, I make hand-built ceramics. So I don't throw on the wheel. I use hand-building techniques that are very ancient. I work with coils and I build up slowly. So it's quite a meditative process Mm. in the actual making and then the technique i use for glazing is called raku mm-hmm. which is an actu- it's actually an ancient um japanese technique that's been adapted for the west and it basically means enjoyment and it's a process of you fire the piece quite quickly mm-hmm. and then you take it out of the kiln when it's red hot and it, the glaze crackles and you plunge it into sawdust and you get these beautiful smoked, crackled effects. Mm. And I use quite vibrant colours. And that is something that um, is reflected in the, the landscape around me. I actually moved to Cornwall about 10, 11 years ago. And my work totally changed. I started creating much more flowing, organic forms and... Um, I I make these pieces that are like I call fluted landscape pots and they kind of they're kind of round and they come up and they curve over (laughs) and it was partly inspired by I was sat on the beach and I was looking at the rolling waves and that kind of curve of the waves Mm. and also you get a lot of like windswept trees kind of because it's quite a wild landscape there aren't loads of trees because they can't really survive but that you know you find it you see like um, a beautiful hedgerow with like a lone tree that is just kind of swept over Mm -hmm. with the wind and Mm. I just love that Um, and also when I first came down here I was absolutely amazed at the colour of the sea because it's it's almost tropical it's a real turquoise mm. beautiful color and that kind of was really influenced um my glazes, and I, I've, I use a lot of turquoise which mm. kind of really reflects that that gorgeous sea mm. yeah so I so I have um different collections so I've got my sea and cliffs collection which Um, is inspired by the obviously the sea the turquoise that I've just talked about but also the 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 patterns in the rocks Mm. and I love really looking closely at rocks and stones Mm. and I love the shapes and the colors and the lines in them Mm. so all these things are fed into my work.
0: Gorgeous. That was so delicious. Those descriptions. <laughs> and you and you, you it's interesting because I've looked at your work and I, I knew it was inspired by the landscape. And you know your latest connection was is called Wild Cornwall. And yeah. sort of like tall vase that I saw, which is sold, I'm sure. The shape, what you just said at the top, that curve. Yes, I can see that the curve of the waves are there. And a lot of, and as you say, a lot of your work does have that blue, vibrant turquoise color. And it's so delicious. And like, I'm just looking, I'm just looking at the images. But because of that, Raku, um, and I love that, it means enjoyment. That that sung to my soul, that. But. (laughs) that knowing that's how you make it now and that crackled effect because when I'm looking at the images I so want to be able to feel it and touch it there's so much texture there that is just coming through with the images so then to have one of these pieces in my home it's like I'm not sure if I would be able to keep my hands off it very much, you know, like every time I'm going past, it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to have a feel there. Like, you know,
1: I'm really (laughs) glad you said that because it's really hard that it's really hard to get that across in an image, but Mm -hmm. the pieces are so tactile and, Mm -hmm. and the, the wild Cornwall ones you just mentioned, I use a lot of different glazes on them. They're kind of, they are a bit wild (laughs) the way I make them. I paint on the glazes, I splash and I've impressed um, bits of the Cornish hedgerows into the pots before oh. before they're dry and so they're inspired by the hedgerows and particularly yeah. round about May time is like the best time to see the hedgerows yeah. they've all come to life there's all these amazing flowers and, mm-hmm. and it's just um, incredible and mm. obviously they're just kind of everywhere um, and I just absolutely love that wildness and the fact that it's just kind of you know it's kind of bordering the fields it's very farming community here Mm. so it's kind of like bordering the fields but you have got that you've still got that wildness even though it is a managed landscape Mm. you've still got these beautiful wild hedgerows which Mm. I, I absolutely adore
0: yeah
1: and also some of the pieces um of the other collection, I actually burnish, which I use a, a beach pebble that I found down near Marazion. You might have heard of Marazion, St. Michael's Mount. and yes, It's yes. like a beautiful bay, Mounts Bay. And walking there, I found this gorgeous and um, black stone which mm. is so smooth and i use that to burnish the outside of the pot so you can actually so like you were saying about you really want to touch it you can't you do want to stroke yeah. them <laughs> yeah they're just so tactile yeah and it just
0: brings such such joy that simple pleasure not just feasting your eyes, but then bringing in those other other senses. Um, and it sounds as this: um, you know you said that you moved to this area in the last ten years. Um, yeah. and I'm interested to know where you moved from and if that was urban or rural base, and if this was a, if this was a move to feed that creative. I don't know itch yeah. that you had or that's yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've actually lived in quite a lot of places, but the the before immediately before I came here, I was in Oxfordshire, so it was quite rural because I'm always very much drawn to sort of being close to nature. I was living in a little village called Sparsholt. I had been in Oxford, city town city um mm-hmm. for a while and then i moved to sparshall when my son was quite young mm-hmm. and that was really beautiful because it was in the Vale of the white horse there's um oh, a chalk horse on the hill of yeah. uffington and so i just i loved that but i felt like too far away from the sea so even in oxford it's beautiful there's like loads of rivers and it's gorgeous um, but I really needed to be close to the sea. And previous to that, i have been in Brighton for about 12 years. And so that is very close to the sea. Yeah. And I loved it. At, but it just wasn't wild enough for me, Sherry. <laughs> I, lo- I love the downs, the South Downs. And I love Oxfordshire. And it's very beautiful. But I just really craved that real wild nature. Yeah. Um, that you find in Cornwall there's just something so elemental mm. about it
0: is this I mean sorry to butt in but it you're saying you crave this wildness and is this yeah. this wildness out there totally dramatic in Cornwall it is you've got the yeah. cliffs and you've yeah. got the surf and you've got the storms yeah. and the roar but
1: yeah. is yeah.
0: this feeding something or feeding that wildness within you
1: you know what I think it is because you know I I love the changeable weather I don't mind that one minute it's raining one minute it's sunny and the next minute it's hailstoning Mm. I just love it (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the winds I mean they they can send you a bit crazy in the winter because you've got these wild winds coming off the sea. Yeah. Um but I just find it exhilarating and I you know I love walking. I walk a lot. I like to go I mean I'm not far from the sea. I mean it's about a mile away. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of like walk to it, but you know you've got the cliff paths and you know that there's a real I don't know everywhere you see there's just something amazing and it's always changing and you've got nature and the birds and and the and sea and the seals and you know you spot the occasional dolphin if you're lucky and you know I just love feeling that close to to nature mm.
0: yeah yeah so sorry I got in but you were saying Oxford but then I'm sure yeah. haven't you lived further north yet or still
1: yeah <laughs> like I say I've moved around a lot um I actually was born in Liverpool so it's very much um a city mm-hmm. um so I think that we do, used to go on day trips a lot so we always used to go like on the ferry across the Mersey mm-hmm. over to Crosby and New Brighton so mm-hmm. we always had that connection with the sea and obviously it's been a port you know we'd you know we'd go on the ferry and so There was always that, but I always kind of craved being closer to nature. And when I was about 10, we actually moved to North Wales. (laughs) So I was in Clangothlund, which is like right on the River Dee. (laughs) And again, that's kind of real nature and walking in the countryside. And, you know, I loved that. And from there, we moved to West Yorkshire, which again, (laughs) it's a very much... uh, you know, natural environment. I lived in a small market town. So I'd walk across the fields to get to school. Mm. Um, And in the winter, every winter, the boilers would break down in school. So we'd get a few days off when it snowed, Mm, (laughs) which is amazing. And we'd go Mm. up the barley fields with the dogs and roll Mm. around in the snow. And so, so although I've kind of, I've not always lived in the countryside. I've always had a really close relationship mm. to
0: it. Yeah. And when you're mentioning these places, there's so much of an echo within my life or, for different times or different periods. Because, you know, I was born in, in West Yorkshire, in Bradford. And... Yeah. Um, and, and West Yorkshire has its own wildness and barrenness. If yes. you think about the moors, you know, yeah. with, we're talking about Bronte country here. Yeah. And that yeah. is an, an, another, another, guys, another shape of wildness, um, yeah. which is so beautiful. Um, and then you mentioned in Liverpool and Cosby, and that's where my son went to do his. Um, degree yeah Yeah. so he's been mentioning those places so it seems to me as if yeah you might at points had been urban based but you did have that close relationship with the landscape Mm. in your everyday Mm. or it might have been the case you might have to go out to find it from your urban center but it was a, a consistent and regular meeting of you and the landscape, and you and the sea, um, to to yes. develop that relationship. So then, when you became your the the adult and the artist, that you mm. you craved it and mm. and almost honor it constantly within your work. And yeah, that is so beautiful. That is it's so juicy, crazy. man. Juicy,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: I, and I love that. Well, I,
1: I- been fascinated by the spirit of nature Mm -hmm. and one of the projects I did um it was quite a few years ago back in 1999 actually I had um funding from the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust Mm -hmm. and I did a traveling fellowship and I went to West Africa and Brazil and I was Mm -hmm. researching traditional religion and and art, and nature spirits, and the Mm. Orisha, who are kind of like West African nature spirits, so I think there's always been that kind of like spiritual element that kind of comes into that connection with nature as well, Mm. which Um, I
0: find incredible. Yeah, and that's another wealthy, rich area that I'd like to move into, because you said you were born in Liverpool, um but mm. you do have links with West Africa um yeah. Ghana in particular is it yeah. cuz co- you know um my great grandfather came from Ghana or at that time it was gold the gold coast and it's interesting that you've mentioned it because that's what I was going to ask you about your travels to West mm. Africa why go there and and then you mentioned how it might have fed into your work through the nature spirits of the Orisha mm. who um I mm. am familiar with. And that but then also I'm interested in also the the landscape and how that might have fed into your work. Mm. So yeah, so first of all, tell us why go to West Africa? Why yeah. go to Ghana? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well well, I grew up, um my father actually wasn't around when I was growing up. Um, my mother my mother was white English, and my father is from Ghana, as you say, in West Africa. And they met and um, were together and had me, but they separated when I was quite young. So he wasn't really around. He would, like, come and go. So I was basically... Um the only black person in mm-hmm. my family, um, my mother and my two brothers were white. The rest of my family that I knew were white. So mm-hmm. I was very much like the only black person in my community, in my school. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've always felt like the other or, you know, I had problems mm-hmm. with racism when I was growing up. And and I always had a yearning to find my father and connect with that African side of myself and obviously because I'm a creative person I I do that through my art so as I was growing up I started researching and I got really into the Adinkra symbols which Mm. are from Ghana um, which I'm actually bringing back into my work at the moment so it's like quite interesting that that is kind of evolving And they're kind of um, symbols that were originally used on funeral cloths, but are now used everywhere in Ghana, but they're mm-hmm. not so well known outside of Ghana. So it's really <laughs> yes. exciting to use them and the symbolism and and everything. So when I got the um, the funding um, from the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust, which is an amazing opportunity um so I, I immediately want, knew I wanted to go to West Africa and look for my dad. and my mum had always been up for me finding him. Um, I'd, but I'd never been able to. I'd tried lots of different things. I knew he'd gone off to study law, so I you know I tried mm. to find him through that in London. but you know I'd just I didn't get anywhere. And then uh, as I was getting ready to um, go on my trip, I mean, this was a long time ago then. We didn't have all this digital stuff we have now. So I was up in London. I was in the Tottenham Court Road. I was looking for a disc player, <laughs> showing my age, if anyone <laughs> remembers those, <Yes. laughs> so I could take it with me to record things. Mm. And I was I was just in a shop and I met this guy um, and he said he was from Ghana. And at that point... Sherry, if I met anyone from Ghana, I would tell them my story just in case. (laughs) They might know my dad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Totally understand that. (laughs) So I was telling this chap who I met um about my trip and about looking for my dad, and he was like, Oh, my dad'll be able to help you. He was actually his father was in Ghana and so I said, oh, fantastic. We got in touch, we emailed, I sent them all my details. And then I kind of went on my trip, didn't think, didn't know if anything would come of it. And then as I was getting to Ghana, I had a message from Napoleon Bully, who's the um, the man who was helping me. And he said he'd actually put an ad in the local paper and he'd found one of my cousins. I was <laughs> like, oh, amazing. So I got to Ghana mm-hmm. and I actually found out that my dad was alive and well and he was living in London. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually spoke to him on the phone from Ghana and rang him in London. Oh, Wow. <laughs> i say so it's like I had to go all that way mm. to find him mm. uh, and then I came back and I met him and you know met my the rest of my family I've got like half brothers and sisters mm. and you know nieces and nephews and all the rest of it and they were so welcoming and mm. that was one of the things that I found amazing about Ghana it was like going there obviously I've been brought born and brought up in Britain mm-hmm. so I'm British through and through but I had this kind of African part of me that I needed to find and and I was really welcome with open arms and you know people were like oh welcome home and you know really amazing experience but you know what the most surprising thing that happened to me was it made me going there made me really appreciate how English I was mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know all that I don't know, that kind of, that British reserve, that Mm. eccentricity, that politeness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I really, and it helped me to integrate those two parts of myself and to accept that, yes, I have that African part of me and I'm always going to look different wherever Mm -hmm. I go, Mm -hmm. but I am very British and Mm. I love that. And I Mm. love the fact that, I've had the opportunities that I've had by being born and brought up here, Mm. you know, the freedoms I've had. And yeah, I just think it's just, I feel very blessed to have those both cultures within me. Yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing
0: that story, your story, the reuniting with your father on in in London. And that's so weird that you're
1: role reversed
0: (laughs) you were in Ghana while he was in London and that what you just said there that idea of those two cultures because that idea of going to Ghana and being welcomed and it's we do have that growing up Mm. within a white society and know that we're classed as the other and I'm using those inverted commas and being that odd one out we do look for home elsewhere because we're We're made to feel we don't belong here. This isn't our home, even though we were born here. So I had that. I mean, I haven't been to Ghana and I'm so jealous that you have. And I (laughs) need to go to Ghana. You must go, yeah. (laughs) But I had that about going to the Caribbean and going to Trinidad and Tobago where my father came from. And that was a seeking of a home and feeling like I belonged. And I got that. But again... What you just said, I was smacked right in my face of, like, how British I was. Yeah. How much, it was so much a part of me. And at that point, I wasn't willing to accept that because I wasn't open, because I wasn't welcomed with open arms by British society. Mm. I felt that tension within me that I don't belong Mm -hmm. here but I'm still of here and and it came out in just simple things about you know toilet facilities (laughs) you know it's like you know different and it was how the culture even though it was part of me seemed so so alien to me and was new to me and was at times uncomfortable for me and that's when the britishness came out and like oh no yeah. we don't carry on like that in england you know that's so, <laughs> no. and and that is because we are brought up and this is a term that just i just came across the idea of that white supremacy culture that idea of that is the standard, that is the norm. And that yeah. is if you're growing up within it. And we are, you know, just say in Western society it is, it's about the capitalism, it's individualism, it's the perfectionism, yeah. it's yeah. the standard. And to have that seep into our pores, get in mm. under our skin, to our bones mm-hmm. and our soul and spirit, we can't mm. help but, but perpetuate that. Mm. Outwards to all the experiences yeah. that we have, but then also to turn it inwards as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And so I'm so pleased that you have just said that now, you know, those mm. both cultures are so, so well marinated within you and that mm. it's accepted. Mm. And, and, you, and, and, and that means you accept who you are. Mm. Yeah. Those multitudes, multitudes.
1: Yeah, I would say that, Sherry, but I'm not I'm I'm also got to say that it's not been an easy journey Mm -hmm. and it took me a long, long time to come to that point Mm -hmm. you know I'm in my early 50s now and I would say it's only quite recently that I've really really come to accept that yeah and you know I've had that points there's times when you know obviously when I kind of like met my family and I went to Ghana and there was that point but it's still quite a long journey Mm -hmm. Mm um and I think that you know when I when I look back at how far I've come and the work I've done on myself, it's been very difficult because Mm -hmm. obviously I did internalize those standards of beauty and Mm -hmm. what I should be in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a young girl with no kind of like guidance from, that black part of my family, the African mm-hmm. part of my family, mm-hmm. you know, it was very difficult. And mm-hmm. I did have to fight and I did have to stand up for myself. But mm-hmm. also being quite a sensitive, mm-hmm. creative person, I did withdraw. I withdrew a lot. And I mm-hmm. think it's it stopped me from really putting myself out there when I was younger mm-hmm. and having the confidence because you don't know what you're going to get back. Yeah, You know, even to, like, walking down the street, is someone going to shout abuse at me? Because that was my experience when I was growing up. And it's not so much now. It's not so overt. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I still am very aware of the young people I know who are still experiencing racism. And, you know, that really, really hurts me. So, yeah. Yeah. And
0: I totally appreciate that you... You mentioned that, saying that, oh, yeah, you accept yourself. It's almost like it's a nice little package tied up with a bow and it's just like, yeah, <laughs> it just I just bought it at the store. Yeah. But that I know that isn't the case and I know it's a journey and it's a journey which is a path that is thorny. And I always say it's a, always a becoming. There is no that end point, isn't there? And, no, and we're no. constantly adding, and I don't want to say to our, our armour or shell, but we're constantly adding, almost like clay, almost keep mm-hmm. adding that clay to the sculpture of who we mm. are, who we're becoming. Yes. I love that. <laughs> uh, well, it just came talking to you, honeybee. So um, I, always, I always, I'm not sure if I say it every, every episode, but it's a practice. It is a practice, yes. and some days we can stand more firmly within who we are and who we're becoming. Yeah. And some days, well, as you say, well, um, that sensitivity we do need mm-hmm. to withdraw, and that's yeah. that's where I go into nature mm. or go to the woods yeah. or go to the sea yeah. because yeah. Um, that um, it
1: holds my sensitivity. Yeah it's healing isn't it and I think that's what's so wonderful Mm -hmm. about that closest to nature because it's a very personal I think personal experience Mm -hmm. um and for me very much is you know if I'm feeling really bad I'll just go to the sea or you know go for a walk Mm. and you know, I know that you swim all year round. I'm not <laughs> as powerful as you. I really wish I was. Yeah. <laughs> but I do love getting into the sea. And, you know, it is it is a balm for the soul. And oh, and I think that's one of the things that I want to get across in my work as well. Yes. You know, you were saying earlier that, you know, you felt the joy. And that is what I want to bring out. Mm-hmm. I want so people to have that peace of joy and beauty mm. so to bring that energy into their home mm. especially if you love cornwall or nature and mm. you know that's something that i really really want to do with my work and like it's it's really it's really weird this
0: conversation but you're skipping ahead to the things that i you know like i'm going to be sewing in and on and that was the right. next, that was the <laughs> next thing because you know i'm i'm battling. With within myself at the moment saying I should be doing more to highlight what we're doing as a human race or human species to the natural species, the natural world mm. to mother earth, um, raise awareness, protection, conservation. Let's, let's change our behaviors. Mm. And because I'm not out there, uh, you know, at protests, um, mm. or I'm not, Oh, I'm not um, within major circles where decisions can be made or policy change, I feel mm. that I'm not doing enough and that I'm going to nature. And I'm just taking, 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 just selfish, mm. you know, for mm. my own, my own well-being, my own wealth, my health and what, yeah, even wealth if I could think about it, mm. if I, you know, need mm. groups out there and they're paying me. But I am coming I am working it out within myself that through my creativity, Uh. through the writing, through the art that I create, that I am offering another way to access that connection with nature, getting more people to care about nature, love nature, and then working to be stewards for nature. Is this what you feel too through your
1: creativity? Yeah. I totally get where you're coming from, and I think that, you know, there is something to be said for a quiet activism.
0: Ooh, I like and, that.
1: You know, it's kind of like, yes, we might not be out there on the front lines, but to be honest, I don't want to be attacked because if I'm out there on the front lines, I get attacked for something else. I get attacked for the colour of my skin, okay. which has happened to me when I've been involved in protests in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, I was kind of, when I was younger, I, you know, I did quite a lot more active protests,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, um, trying to stop the Newbury bypass. Mm I don't know how, if you remember that, those times, you know, going out on reclaim the streets on my bicycle. You know, and I would be attacked. I would be the only black person in that group. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I found that really, really hard. So it kind of made it hard for me to actually be out there on mm. the front line. As mm-hmm. I say, I'm quite a sensitive, creative soul. Mm. Love being on my own. Love being in nature. And I think I've come to terms with the fact that I can do it in my own way as you can do it in your own way. It's like, mm-hmm. what are your gifts? to bring to this Mm. and the fact that you're doing this podcast and you're talking to other um, people of colour and talking about our experiences and our connection with nature and I think that is it it's like it's just kind of this is our way of of doing it through our art and through our creativity yeah Um, and I think that is equally as valid Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And I just love that quiet activism. And
0: what you just said then, yeah, I know that I've had abuse directed at me while I've been protesting um, Mm. different things. And it's there as a way to silence us, to control us and put us into that box and make it. Mm. But I'm so glad what we've just been saying that it hasn't silenced us and we've we've taken that and we're feeding it into our gifts Mm. that we've got Mm. and and bringing it back into the world and i'm so pleased that you've just couched the podcast within that um Uh. that same realm that same guys um and i love that i mean i might have thought about that subconsciously but now it's like yeah Mm. yeah, i can Mm. see that so thank you (laughs) You're just giving me so many gems. I just love it when, when there is that synergy, then we have those gems and those. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so before thank I say you. say goodbye to you, I mean, like, there's so many things that I still want to talk to you. Um, but maybe I'm gonna to have to ask you back on for another one. <laughs> but yeah, you're just saying, yeah, because you mentioned the um, Adinka symbols that are now oh. coming into your work and. That was a neon, neon flashing light for me because I've actually got um, a Dinka um, tattoo. It's my right arm, my right arm. Yeah, Fantastic. I've got, I've got the fern, um, and I don't. It's oh, Iya. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, exactly, Iya, and it's like a rib cage in a sense, but it means you know mm. endurance, um, resourcefulness, yeah. and resilience. Yes along with my mirror tattoo on the other side, which is I am enough. (laughs) They're there as (laughs) reminders. You know, as we navigate through this world in society, totally marked at all times as black women. Yeah. Even though we are much more than that, that is how we are perceived and received in the majority Mm. of the time within this um, community society environment. Yeah. So yeah. just thinking, then this is going to be the final, final question. Honestly, honestly, but just thinking <laughs> about where we've just gone. Today's the day we've just gone back into a national lockdown here in England. Oh, yes. Um, and and after such difficult, uncertain, uh, weird, and warped mm. twenty twenty, and I'm making plans now. Find a way to keep doing what I'm doing safely. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. was just looking at a local garden, which is an enclosed garden, you yeah. know, they're growing stuff, where we as a group of women could go because we haven't been able to do that because of lockdown or gathering. Yeah. But then also because when we're together, we do, and I don't want to say mark on the landscape, but we are more visible yeah. together. And there's been okay social distancing fear and that sort of thing but also Mm. that idea of bringing or attracting even more unwanted attention and Mm. um so we haven't been meeting so we were just starting to talk to this enclosed garden but i don't think that's going to happen now um because we can't gather with with more than one person from another household outside Mm. i know that (laughs) room even though they're all all (laughs) wishy-washy So I'm working now to put in plans in place that do not get disrupted by lockdown, restrictions, mm. social distancing. And that might mean it's virtual. That, yeah. But it's actually to make sure that we can continue doing the good work that we are doing. Um, yes. Especially as it relates to black women and their mental health and nature yeah. connection, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So this yeah. is my plans. I'm declaring it. Yes. For moving forward, so <laughs> what are your plans moving forward? You mentioned these Adinka symbols. Yeah. How, how how are you envisioning? And you might not even have any plans. You might be using the dark period coming up to go into hibernation and to start planning or seeding ideas. But I'm interested to see or hear what what do you envision upon the landscape for Catherine, Look Taylor, and her her creativity. <laughs>
1: Well, that's exactly it, what you said about going into hibernation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think at the moment, I'm just kind of finishing off um, work because obviously I'm leading up to Christmas. I've got some online Christmas fairs and things like this. And then once that is done, then January, February are very much a time when, um, you know, I'm not very busy, Mm -hmm. I can kind of go more inward you know i i do a lot more walking because it's obviously i can go out um for my daily walk even in lockdown and i'm lucky to be able to just walk out of my door and go out into nature and just to spend some time um deciding how i want to use the adinkra symbols i've been doing some commissions i did a recent commission two commissions for Um, like ceremonial pieces, which are um, urns for ashes. Mm. Um, And I'm really thinking that I want to create a project around that, around grief and around acknowledging grief. (laughs) And the Adinkra symbols feed into that because they were originally used on funeral cloths and for ceremonial purposes. And they've all got different meanings. So it's kind of, there's something coming, something mm. new coming, not quite sure what yet. I'd really love to get some funding. I'm planning on applying to the Arts Council, developing your creative practice grant, Yes, hopefully, fingers crossed. Yes, go for it. Um, which will then kind of mean that I can have the time... To develop this project, so it does. It's not dependent on I have to make something and I sell mm-hmm. it, which obviously mm-hmm. is what I need to do to make a living. But I just want to develop a bigger project and um, work in collaboration with other people. Um, I've done I've done projects like this before, and um, when I've worked in collaboration with other artists. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of something that's simmering and bubbling away at the moment, mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to having the time just to kind of really develop create work and very experimental pieces so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment
0: oh gosh that sounds so wonderful and it's so interesting <laughs> the last um conversation I had for the podcast was just this week and it was with Velda Thomas and grief came up there as well uh-huh. Oh, um, yeah, this moment in time, I'm doing writing your novel in a month sort of thing to get me. Oh yeah, kicked yeah, yeah. up the backside to get on with my memoir. Right. So the present essay, personal essay that I'm writing about, is about grief and yeah. how we only acknowledge the first. And I'm thinking about Francis Weller here, and I'll put this in the show notes, the book that I'm reading. But there's like yeah. five gates. Of grief, and we only within this society, Western society, we Mm. only acknowledge the first gate, which is when we lose someone that Mm. we loved. Yeah. And then, even then, it's only a short term thing. It's like that mm. attitude of just like, get on with it, get over it with yeah. it. Yeah. And don't be so public with your display of grief. Mm. Keep it hidden, keep it under wraps. There's so much damage we can do to ourselves by just yeah. staying within that realm of grief. Yes. And so then to be reminded that the Adinka singles were used initially within funeral cloths Mm. and and that you've just been creating these urns and like Mm. it's actually putting grief right back up there with its cousin or its mate love. It's it's because we love, we we lose. It's that case of... You know, yeah. everything that we love we will lose at some point. Knowing that them two bedfellas go together and embracing mm. them because they're yeah. all they all part of the human condition, the thing this thing called life,
1: yeah. which yeah. is also yes.
0: always tinged with death.
1: I know. And it's so it's so hard, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. like to to feel that grief. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. You know, even if it's someone who's not particularly close to you, like mm. like Sean Connery's just recently passed mm. away. And yeah. I was devastated, you know. Yeah. He's been part of my life, although I don't yeah. know him. Yeah. He's been part of my life and my mm-hmm. childhood and growing up. And mm-hmm. and that kind of brought up grief. But it also, I think each new grief brings up the old grief. Yes, so, yes. So, you know, we've had the grief of lockdown, the yeah. grief of... You know, being restricted—you know—that kind of brings up a grief, mm-hmm. and I and I totally know what you're saying, and I really think we have to have another conversation. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do, I, I do. So much to it. Yeah,
0: and that would be the first time that the podcast has done that. You know, bringing back another guest, but I am <laughs> so far end there uh, on that note because we've sort of like come a full circle. We started off with mm. the season and autumn, which is so classy as that decay and death season. Yes. And then, and then we just come back around with talking about that grief and death. Such a lovely way to end, I think, within the thick of it, because there's going to be more. So I'd just like to say thank you mm. so much, Catherine. It's been such a rich and juicy conversation and I can't wait till we get back together again
1: soon. Thank yeah. you thank you so much sherry it's been an absolute pleasure i'm so glad you reached out to me and asked me to be on the podcast and i feel this is going to be the beginning of a really amazing collaboration i could see us working together and yeah me too (laughs) creating something yeah thank you kindly thank you kindly thank you sherry